Welcome back to the Las Casas Community Church Podcast. We release episodes on Friday mornings. You can keep up with us on Facebook or on our webpage, both linked in the description below. I hope you enjoy this episode. You know, a lot of what we're talking about is really about perspective. Yeah. It really is. It's about perspective. About perspective. Seeing things through uh, God's way, you know, God's vision, the way he sees things, um, really is what we should be praying for. Because that's what we all need, and that's what the whole world needs. All right, so Passover. (laughs) Um, This one is a cool, just cool lesson. Um, we'll get to that. Okay, so we've been looking at the different plagues that God used to show himself more powerful than the Egyptian gods. This was extremely important for a few reasons. First, the plagues were used to convince Pharaoh he needed to let the Israelites go. Um, God was also showing the Egyptian people he was greater than their gods, so as many could follow him as possible. And then most importantly, God sent them because the Israelites had been immersed in this polytheistic, lots of gods of Egypt for 400 years. Now it was time for them to go into the land God promised to them. They needed their God to reintroduce himself to them so they could choose to be his people. We'll get to that one. (laughs) All right. So let's look at the final plague, because, uh, you know, we've talked about the different plagues, but we have not yet looked at the, the death of the firstborn. And that we didn't look at it before, because this one goes with this. It's, it's all part of one story, you know, so we needed to get it together. So, yeah. So let's look at Exodus. Um, in Exodus 11... Somebody read one through three. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will strike Pharaoh in the land of Egypt with one more blow. After that, Pharaoh will let let you leave this country. In fact, he will be so eager to get rid of you that he will force you all to leave. Tell all the Israelite men and women to ask their Egyptian neighbors for articles of silver and gold. Now, the Lord has caused the Egyptians to look favorably on the people of Israel, and Moses was considered a very very great man in the land of Egypt, respected by Pharaoh's officials and the Egyptian people alike. Isn't it amazing? So here he is. He fled Egypt. Remember, they wanted to kill him. And so here they're saying, okay, he is greatly esteemed in Egypt, you know, um, it's amazing how things happen like that, isn't it? And that's what God did for him so far. So somebody go 4 through um, 11, or actually 10, 4 through 10. Moses had <clears throat> announced to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, <clears throat> at midnight tonight I will pass through the heart of Egypt. All the firstborn sons will die in every family in Egypt, from the oldest son of Pharaoh, who sits on his throne, to the oldest son of his lowliest servant girl, who grinds the flour. 
even the firstborn of all the livestock will die. Then a loud wail will rise throughout the land of Egypt, a wail like no one has heard before or will ever hear again. But among the Israelites it will be so peaceful that not even a dog will bark. Then you will know that the Lord make, makes a distinction between the Egyptians and the Israelites. All of the officials of Egypt will run to me and fall to the ground before me. Please leave, they will beg. Hurry and take all your followers with you. Only then will I go. Then, burning with anger, Moses left Pharaoh. Now the Lord had told Moses earlier, Pharaoh will not listen to you, but then I will do even more mighty miracles in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed these miracles in Pharaoh's presence, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he wouldn't let the Israelites leave the country. Okay, so God tells Moses exactly what's about to happen. There is no mystery here, is it? It's exactly what's going to happen. Uh, and have you noticed that throughout this entire story? God always is telling Moses, this is what I'm going to do. So Moses has an expectation when he goes into the situation knowing what's going to happen, right? But, you know, it's cool because God is telling him that, but then Moses and Aaron are partnering with him to bring it about. And that's what it's meant to be. It was a partnership. God tells us what he wants us to do. That's the leading of the Holy Spirit, right? And then we are to go and partner with him to go do it. It's a divine partnership. Okay. very first time. It struck me as odd that they were asking for gold and silver. And that there wasn't even a footnote ending on that. And it's not till much later that all sort of makes sense. Yeah. Well, because then you find out it's the, the riches of Egypt that they left with that they later built the tabernacle and all of the things with it and the golden calf. <laughs> A lot of things. And then they had some left over. So they really did leave with a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's look at um, Exodus 12. We're about to get into this is the Passover story. Okay. Um, somebody read verses 1 through uh, 1 through 7. They moved to rescue the Passover. While the Israelites were still in the land of Egypt, the Lord gave the following instructions to Moses and Aaron. Now on, this month will be the first month of the year for you. Announce to the whole country of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for a sacrifice, one animal for each household. If a family is too small to eat a whole animal, let them share with another family in the neighborhood. Divide the animal according to the size of each family and how much they can eat. Animal you select must be a one year old male, either a sheep or a goat with no details. Take special care of this chosen animal until the evening of the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter their lamb or young goat at twilight. They are to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides and top of the door frames of the house where they eat the animal. That same night, they must roast the meat over a fire. Eat it along with bitter sour grains and bread made without yeast. Do not eat any of the raw meat or 
Feed the raw meat on the boiling water. All in going from the head, legs, and internal organs must be vegetable and cotton. Okay. Uh, go ahead and read um, to 13. Do not leave any of it until the next morning. Burn whatever is not eaten before morning. These are your instructions for eating this Be fully dressed, wear your sandals, and carry your walking stick in your hand. Eat the meal with urgency, for this is the Lord's Passover. On that night, I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. For the blood on your doorpost will serve as a sign, marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you until I strike the land of Egypt. All right, so stop there. Okay, let's go back. This is such... God is telling them exactly what he wants them to do. And it's because he's painting a picture. He is extremely painting a picture. So they would get the lamb on uh, the 10th day, right? And then they would watch it. And, and what it is said is that they would take the lamb and it would be like a pet. Okay, they would take it into the house or right next to the house where they're watching it. And uh, they watch it for four days to make sure there is nothing wrong with it, that it is without defect. Um, and then they, they're judging it to see, right? Okay, so it sounds very familiar. Yes, it does. And it's exactly, in the, and it's familiar because God wanted it to be, and that's what we're about to get into in the next verses. It's a, it's a, um, a convocation. It's a dress rehearsal. You know, it's appointments. And so this is the first appointment that he is showing them, this is what you have to have happen. This is how your sins will be covered, right? So what happened with Jesus on the 10th day? At Passover. That would the tenth day. Mm -hmm. They had the meal. No. Let me tell you. Here's what happened. On the tenth day uh, of Abib, this that's the Jewish month, uh, then it would he he had the triumphal entry. He came in, uh huh, and he was celebrated for this triumphal entry. And where did he go? As soon as he came in, he went to the temple. And then he he was uh, judged by the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And, you know, that was when they were asking him, okay, should we give this coin to Caesar or to you? You know, and uh, should we pay our taxes? You know, and they were trying to trip him up over and over, and then what did Pilate say about him every time? I can't find anything wrong. He's not done anything. I washed my hands of him, right? That was the world's judgment on him. He was without defect because he was the perfect lamb. Yeah, and, and so we're seeing that throughout this entire story. Um, one of the things we're here in verse 11 
it says, and you shall uh, eat it in this way, with your garment belted around your waist, your sandals on your feet, in your staff, in your hand, and you shall eat it in a hurry, for it's the Lord's Passover. And so when it says that, putting your garment or belt around your waist, what they would do, okay, they all wore um, long robes, like dresses, right? <laughs> Men, women, everybody. Tunics, yes. And so what they would do is, because they were so long, they would get tripped up in their legs, they would take it and they would pull it up and then tuck it into their belt. And so then that way, it brought it up enough where they could run, right? And so that's what he's saying. Be ready. You're going to leave, you know? And did that take an act of faith? It was a promise. Okay, you're about to go. Because how many plagues had already happened and they were still there, right? So God's saying, all right, you went to see the blood on the lintel. We're going to look at that in a minute. Then I will pass over, huh? Abib, A-B-I-B. That was the Jewish month, yes. And, and it wasn't until then. God changed time for Passover, do they still celebrate this as the first? Annual? That's why there's two New Years. Uh huh. This is the religious New Year, and then the other is the civil New Year, Rosh Hashanah. Oh. Yeah. So two different. Yeah. But the one that which one do you think God recognizes? Yeah. Because <laughs> it's the one He said. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's go on. Um, somebody read 14 through, um, yeah, 17, 14 through 17. So while they were living in Egypt, more than likely they weren't practicing sacrifices and religious customs. Well, they had no, yeah. His, I mean, think there was no, tab there had never been a tabernacle. There had never been a temple. Uh, none of those things had exist, existed. And, okay, this is interesting. I didn't realize this until we were studying uh, Abraham and Isaac. But uh, God, what he was wanting is he was wanting them to go worship him and to offer sacrifices. And they weren't just any sacrifice. It was a burnt offering, meaning burnt offerings, um, the literal word in Hebrew means to go up in smoke. There's nothing left. There is no food to eat from it. It just goes. Yes, they burn it completely up. There's nothing. And so, but to God, that is worship. You know, and that's really what he wants from us too, is to be a burnt offering, to give it all. You know, and, and then he uh, takes that and it is worship to him. So coming from no worship well, now they did know they did know sacrifice to a degree. They had at least heard of it, but yeah, I, I honestly I can't say they did or didn't because it does it doesn't say that they did. I will put it that way. Yes, doing this is a big deal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I would have to agree. Yeah. 
All right, so let's look at 14 through 17. And there's two words that I want to like really bring out. This is a day you want to commemorate for the generations to come that you shall celebrate it as a festival for the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days more to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. But whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, from the sacred assembly, and another word on the seventh day, do not work at all on these days, except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That is all you may do. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread, because it was on this very day that I brought you division, your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Okay. Now, I'm going to go back to 13. Um, I actually have this up where you can see it. Look at verse 13. The blood shall be a sign for you. Oh, uh-huh. So what is an oath? It is the uh, strong leader uh, who bears the nail and uh, upholds the covenant. It's a sign. And so who is it? Okay, it's, it's, it's Jesus, but then he's there with the Passover, right? Because he is the one to do that. Um, now, if you're looking at verse 16, then what it tells us is, and on the first day you shall have, yours, you said a, a sacred assembly. And in this it says a holy assembly. If you're looking at the King James and it says a convocation, it's like, What's a convocation? Who uses that word? <laughs> yeah, so uh, so it would be assembly there. Um, the Hebrew word is mikra, uh, which is M-I-Q-R-A, mikra. And so uh, M-I-Q-R-A, mikra. And so you know what's special about that? That convocation in Hebrew, the understanding of it is a dress rehearsal. So he's saying on that first day, you shall have a dress rehearsal and another holy assembly on the seventh day. So again, and another dress rehearsal on the seventh day. Uh, and so he's telling them exactly how he wants them to do it. And then in verse 17, uh, in this translation, it says, you shall also keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread. For on this day, I brought your multitudes out of the land of Egypt. Okay, that word for keep is shamar. Now, shamar means this. It means to keep, to guard, to observe, and to keep watch. A lot like Toreo, uh-huh. So you're guarding it. It, it is this concept. And so he's saying, and you're to do this, the end of the verse says, therefore you shall keep shamar, you shall guard, keep this day throughout your generations as a permanent ordinance. So is it ever to go away? No, God never wanted it to go away because it's the picture, right? Okay. So somebody read 18 through 22.
In the first month, you are to eat bread made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. For seven days, no yeast is to be found in your houses. And anyone, whether foreign or native born, who eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off from the community of Israel. Eat nothing made without yeast. Eat nothing made with yeast. Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. And Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood and into the, and in the basin and put some of the blood on the top of both sides of the door frames. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. Okay. Um. So again, he's telling them exactly what to do, right? In great, great detail. Yes, is the details matter. If you don't think the, the details matter, think about the poor guy who was trying to study the ox cart with the ark on it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he didn't do it right, and so he fell down dead, <laughs> right? So somebody look at 23 through 28. And the Lord would pass through the land to strike down the Egyptians. But when he sees the blood on the top and the side of the door frame, the Lord will pass over your home. He will not permit his death angel to enter your house and strike you down. Remember, these instructions are a permanent law that you and your descendants must observe forever. When you enter the land, the Lord has promised to give you and you will continue to observe this ceremony. Then your children will ask, what does this ceremony mean? And you will reply, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, for he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt. And though he struck the Egyptians, he spared our families. When Moses had finished speaking, all the people bowed down to the ground and worshiped. So 28. So the people of Israel did just as the Lord had commanded through Moses and Aaron. Okay. Now, check this out. The Shemar. Uh, do you know, okay, let me give you a heads up. When we do advanced Hebrew next, it's one of our vocabulary words okay. in chapter uh, four. <laughs> what, what part? Where did where did that come from? I don't that written down. Oh, keep. Yeah, you're to keep the Passover forever. Is that yeah. in 17 where it says the festival will be a permanent law for you? I would have to look that up. Oh, in 17? Well, mine says you shall also keep, and that's what I'm looking at, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. What does yours say? This festival will be a permanent law for you. Celebrate this day from generation they just they just took the concept uh, and put it in that way. All right, so look at this. Okay, Hebrew people, what letter is that? Oh, uh, well, that one looks like a hattie, but it's a dollar. No, no. Mm -mm. Oh, that's a top. Mm -mm. No. Hold on. Chet. Chet. Uh huh. It's chet. <laughs> The door. The door frame. Oh, the, 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 yeah, where are you? Letters up there, like, oh, it does not look like it. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, 
but when he's painting the blood onto the door frame, because a door is a dollar, but the door frame is a chet. And so he's saying, don't put it on the door. Put it on the door post, right? Above and on the sides, on the frame. And, okay, do you know what's beautiful? We'll get to, okay, I'm going to come back to the, uh, the chet. Like you have to say it right if you try to anyway. So the Hebrew word for blood is dom. And so dom is a dalit and a mem. In Hebrew's ancient pictographic language, this would look like there's a tent door and then water. Because you're looking at it from right to left. So it's opposite from what, how we do usually. And so it's telling us that this blood that saves us is the door to life. Uh, yeah, through the word personified in the liquid. Because mem, remember, it has the meaning of liquid life, right? Okay, so liquid, waters, but it also is the word personified. So who is the word personified? It's Jesus, right? And so, and who is the door? Jesus. Jesus. Okay. So he's like all in this, right? Um, and so the lamb's blood they used would have to be spilled every year as a dress rehearsal to show them that the lamb, the word personified's blood, would do what it would do for them at its fulfillment. Now, I love this picture that was making uh, the letter Chet because when you understand the concept of what Chet is all about, I feel like I'm, I'm, I am spitting on that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but the thing about it is it is um, a protected fence that keeps, all, uh, keeps out everything that's evil and, and uh, protects all that is good, all that is, um, is sacred. It forms a sanctuary. So what he was doing is he was having them basically paint the blood onto the door frame, causing their home to be a protected sanctuary. Uh-huh. And that's exactly what the whole concept of the letter Chet is all about. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. Right. Don't leave your sanctuary because it's protected. Right? Because if they did, then they've left their sanctuary. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It's, it's Revelation 2, huh? <laughs> okay, so um, let's go to 29 through 33. That night at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn sons in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn son of the prisoner in the dungeon. Even the firstborn of their livestock. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the people of Egypt woke up during the night and loud wailing was heard throughout the land of Egypt. There was not a single house where someone had not died. 
care of sin for Moses and Aaron during the night. Now, we'd like you to take the rest of the Israelites with you. Go and worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you said, and be gone. Go, but bless me as you leave. <laughs> All right. Oh, yeah, go ahead. All the Egyptians urged the people of Israel to get out of the land as quickly as possible, for they thought, we will all die. <laughs> so they were afraid. This is the first time I've ever heard that when I was reading this earlier in the week. I don't ever remember reading that. Yeah. Is it in all the versions? Or is it just yeah, and no, I think it is. I mean, it, it yeah, says it may be a little different. Yeah. There's a few times he said, okay, if you go, when you go, pray for me too. You know, and then he would change his mind and not want him to go. But, yeah. Okay, look, there is this um, video. How many of you have seen The Prince of Egypt? Yes. Okay. Now, uh, and, and the thing is, is now, is all of that movie correct? No. <laughs> but I really like how they portray, especially the death angel. Um, and think about this is a concept that um, I know in, in some translations it says the destroyer, you know. Um, is the death angel necessarily evil? I would say no. Because does God send angels to escort his people home? And is that bad? No. <laughs> It's not at all. And I, one of the things, ah, oh, I know what happened. Okay. Anyway, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> uh, the thing about it is how they are portraying this is breath is just being taken from the, the uh, firstborns. It's not a painful thing. It's just the breath is taken out. So what makes us different from all the rest of creation? The breath. The breath. And so if the breath is removed, then what happens is then we die. And so, you know, we've talked about before, um, the, the name, even Yahweh, is breath, right? And so um, I love how it's portrayed. So I wanted to show that. If that's okay, just that section. You know, another thing, think about this. Egyptians, uh, you know, or, or not, um, the young children were involved for him anyway. Even the Egyptian young children would have went to God. He would have taken them. Right. Um, so somebody read 34 through 41. Yeah. Actually, okay. Oh. You know what? Okay, so read 34 through 37 because I want to show you something there. The Israelites took their great dough and pulled leases out and they wrapped their eating boards in their cloaks and carried them on their shoulders. And the people of Israel did as Moses had instructed. They asked the Egyptians for clothing and articles of clothing and gold. 
Lord caused the Egyptians to look favorably on the Israelites. And uh, they gave Israelites whatever they asked for. So they stripped the Egyptians of their wealth. That night the people of Israel left Ramses, Ramses and started for Sukkot. They were about there were about six hundred thousand men plus all the women and children. Okay. Do you know what's interesting about this? Because we just talked about this in Hebrew class. Look, how many men were leaving? Six hundred thousand, right? About six hundred thousand. Do you know that that is the exact number of Hebrew letters in the Torah? There's one for each person that was leaving Egypt during the Passover. <laughs> there are six hundred thousand Hebrew letters in the Torah. And it's one for each of the men that left uh, during the Passover for each of the Israelites. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I think that's so cool. Uh, and I put God is into the details. They show his patterns. In this, God is communicating. He made the Torah to show his people how to be free. thought that was interesting, so I wanted to bring that out. All right, so somebody read 38 through 41. The rabble of non-Israelites went with them, along with great flocks and herds of livestock. The, the bread they baked, black cakes from the dough without yeast they had brought from Egypt, it was without yeast because the people were driven out of Egypt in such a hurry they had no time to prepare the bread or other food. The people of Israel had lived in Egypt for 430 years. In fact, it was the it was on the last day of the 430th year that all the Lord's forces left Egypt. Right. So think about that. So it's on the very day. He waits until the very day. It's in the fullness of time. But you know what? But the beautiful thing is, is in Isaiah, I think it's 66, 20, uh, 22b, <laughs> what it says. <laughs> I don't know how many times the Lord has shown this to me, you know, and I love that. But what it says is, I, the Lord, will hasten it in its time. So he waits until the day of something, but then he makes it happen immediately. Because it's time. He waits until it's time, but then there is a suddenly. Fullness of the Gentiles. Exactly. It, when it's the fullness of the time, whatever that time is, then he brings it quick. Because it's time. He's waiting for it. All right. So uh, somebody read 42 through 51. On this night, the Lord kept his promise to bring his people out of the land of Egypt. But this night belongs to him, and it must be commemorated every year by all the Israelites from generation to generation. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, These are the instructions for the festival of Passover. No outsiders are allowed to eat the Passover meal. 
but any slave who has been purchased may eat if he has been circumcised. Temporary residents and hired servants may not eat it. Each Passover lamb must be eaten in one house. Do not carry any of its meat outside and do not break any of its bones. The whole community of Israel must celebrate this Passover festival. For there are foreigners living among if there are foreigners living among you, you who want to celebrate the Lord's Passover, let all the males be circumcised. Only then may they celebrate the Passover with you like any native-born Israelite. No, but no uncircumcised male may ever eat the Passover meal. This instruction applies to everyone, whether a native-born Israelite or a foreigner living among you. So all the people of Israel followed all the Lord's commands to Moses and Aaron. On that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt like an army. Yeah. All right. How many times has it said now, and so you shall keep Passover forever, or this ordinance shall be forever throughout your generations? Yeah, a few times. Okay, so he, he's getting the point across. Okay, this is not just until any event. Even after he comes back. Yeah. That'll be forever too, right? Yeah. And does it go away because Jesus came and fulfilled it? No. It should be celebrated all the more because he fulfilled it. You know? It's easy to understand with this scripture in mind, though, why there were the problems um, why your teachers Becoming Christians and not being circumcised. Mm -hmm. uh, all that that kind of problem. Yeah. Look at verse 46 when it says, okay, it, talking about the lamb, it's to be eaten in a single house. So it's for the single house, right? Okay. Uh, you are not to bring any of the meat outside of the house. So it, you can't bring it out, it has to be in the house. Only in the house, which is you, <laughs> right? And then it says, nor are you to break any bone in it. Why is that a thing? It's symbolism. Yeah, because Jesus, he, not one bone was broken. Psalm 22 tells us that, you know, and then we know that from the Gospels too. Not one bone was broken. So this is so... Get this, people. Okay? It's very, very prophetic. I can't help but say this. There's no Easter here. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> I had to say it. <laughs> All right. So look at Exodus 13. Um, this And this gets into a whole other something. Okay? Um, somebody read Exodus 13. One through um, eight. Dedication of the first one. Then the Lord said to Moses, Dedicate to me every firstborn among the, the Israel. The first offspring to be born of both humans and animals belongs to me. But Moses said to the people, This is the day to remember forever. Day you left Egypt for the place of your slavery. Today the Lord has brought you out by the power of his mighty hand. 
remembered if no food contained in yeast. On this day in early spring, in the month of the fifth, you have been set free. You must celebrate this event in this month each day after the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Jebusites. He swore to your ancestors that he would give you this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. For seven days, the bread you eat must be free, must remain without yeast. Then on the seventh day, celebrate a feast to the Lord. Eat bread without yeast during those seven days. In fact, there must be no yeast bread of any, no yeast bread or any yeast at all found within the borders of your home during this time. Okay. You could do the nine. That's fine. On the seventh day, you must explain to your children, I am celebrating what the Lord did for me when I left Egypt. This annual feast will be a visible sign to you, like a mark branded on your hand or your forehead, but it reminds you always to recite this teaching to the Lord. A strong hand will now rescue you from Egypt. What's that powerful hand? It's a huge, right? <laughs> All right. So, um, and even there in verse 9, it says, and it shall serve as a sign um, or a token. Either way, what is that? Oat. Uh-huh. It's oat uh, on your hand or a remainder on your forehead. Um, so that's that would be like the phylacteries, right? Um, but it also symbolizes your words and your deeds, you know, your thoughts and your deeds. Okay, so somebody uh, read 10 through 16. You must keep this ordinance and performance time year after year. After the Lord brings you into the land in the hand of the Canaanites and gives it to you, as he promised an oath to you and your ancestors, you are to give over to the Lord the first Spring of every womb, all firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey, but if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn of your sons. In days to come, when your son asks you, What does this mean? say to him, With a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of the slavery. And Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go. The Lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. This is why I sacrificed to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeemed each of my firstborn sons. And it will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. All right. So, you know what? From this point on, God is claiming all the firstborns, all of them, males. Mm hmm. Uh, and, and it's not just even yeah, humans, it's uh, animals as well, right? Uh, and so it's interesting to think, uh, you remember when Jesus was born, he was the first one to come from Mary's womb, her firstborn son. And so uh, there was two things that they had to do. Uh, they went to the temple and uh, they sacrificed uh, an animal. We know what kind of financial uh, situation they were in because of what they were sacrificing. Um, yeah, they, they did, I think it was two pigeons. And, uh, and the thing about it is if you look, 
they were sacrificing to redeem Jesus, but also to purify Mary. And uh, in Luke 2, 21 through 24, um, I can give that to you. Here's what it says. And it's referencing Exodus 13, 2, 12, and 15, and then Numbers 3, 13, and 8, 17. It says, and when eight days were completed, so that it was time for her circumcision, he was also named Jesus. Because that's when they have their naming ceremony, when they circumcise them. And why did they wait until the eighth day? Vitamin K peaks at that time, so they were clot. Good job. <laughs> okay, and so he was also named Jesus. What does Jesus mean? And actually wasn't Jesus. What was it actually? Yeshua. Yeshua. And what is Yeshua? Salvation. He's salvation. They named him that. And um, the name given to them by the angel when he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Because it was the firstborn, right? As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. What does holy mean? Set aside, uh -huh, set apart, only for him. It, it's for God. And then, and to offer a sacrifice according to what he had been stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young doves. So you were right, two doves. The sacrifice that Mary and Joseph offered doubled both for Mary's dedication and to redeem Jesus as the firstborn. Leviticus 12, 1 and 2 in verse 8, gives us the specifications for the sacrifices that were acceptable. And so this is what that says. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a woman has conceived and born a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days, as in the days of her customary impurity. She shall be unclean. And if she is not able to bring a lamb, then she may bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons. One is a burnt offering, and the other is a sin offering. So the priest shall uh, have atonement for her, and she will be clean. What were those passages? Uh, Luke 2, 21 through 24. Um, and then the other one that I gave was Leviticus 12, 1 uh, and 2, and then verse 8. All right, so now we're going to switch gears a little bit, and we're going to talk about the Seder, the Passover Seder, because do they uh, still sacrifice um, a lamb now? Mm, they don't have a. They don't really have a. Um, a they don't have a temple, <laughs> and they don't really do sacrifices now. But they do the Seder, and that's what all of this stuff is. Um, I'll explain that later. But I did bring um, some different things for us to look at, because that just helps. <laughs> um, now, um, you know what? We, we'll be fine right right now. Um, so how many of y'all have been to a Seder? Yeah, we had one, but that's been quite a, quite a while ago now. Yeah, we're due for another one, aren't we? Yeah. But um, these are the different elements that you have you know, on the Seder plate. So let me tell you what each one is and why it's used. Um, so you have the four cups of wine. Those are extremely important. 
um, they symbolize what God is doing for his people in the four I will statements found in Exodus 6, 6, and 7. It says, say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out. That's the first cup. I will bring you out from under the labors of the Egyptians, and I will rescue you. So deliverance, that is the second cup, from, your, uh, from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm. Hmm. <laughs> and with great judgment. Then I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the labors of the Egyptians. Those are the four cups. Huh? Well, yes, but we're waiting still for, for the last one. We'll see that one, and that's the cup of the kingdom. Matzah. Matzah is unleavened bread. It shows the Israelites had to flee from Egypt so quickly that their bread had no time to rise. It's also a picture of Jesus. The shank bone of a lamb is a reminder of the Passover lamb. The bitter herbs bring the bitterness of slavery to mind. Horseradish is typically served for this. If you get too much of it, it will cause tears to come to your eyes and clear your sinuses. <laughs> yeah. And then there's the carpus or the green vegetable, which is usually parsley. Um, this is dipped in salt water. The salt water represents the tears of oppression the Israelites experienced in Egypt. The parsley pictures the hyssop branches that Israelites used to apply the blood of the lamb to the doorpost. Isn't it great how, you know, God is using actions all the time to help people to, uh, to remember and understand the story? The carathet, or carathet, <laughs> is a mixture of chopped apples, nuts, cinnamon, and wine. And it pictures the brick and mortar the Israelites were forced to make under Pharaoh's taskmasters. In ancient times, they added figs and dates to it. A roasted egg is a reminder of the temple sacrifice during Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, and it's a symbol of life. Now, that was added later. What was the Easter egg? <laughs> 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 so, I guess you could put it in there. <laughs> Salt water symbolizes the tears shed by the Israelite slaves and their baptism in the Red Sea. Yeah, and so the next part that when you come into the Seder, uh, the first thing you do is you have the first cup of wine, right, at the very beginning. Then the breaking of the middle matzah, or unleavened bread. They begin with three matzah breads, usually in a pouch or a napkin with three compartments. So they keep them separate. Um, at this point, the middle matzah is taken out and broken. So what do you think the three represent? Yeah, it's God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And who do they take out and break? Jesus. Jesus, the middle one. <laughs> okay, so it's the ultimate symbol of Jesus' body being broken for us. Matzah bread, like a large cracker, is unleavened. It's without sin. It's also striped and it's pierced. 
Then the next thing that they do after they break it is they hide the ophicomen. This is the larger portion of the broken middle matzah bread. They wrap it in a linen cloth and they hide it away. This is a picture of Jesus' broken body being wrapped in a linen burial cloth and hidden away in a tomb. Later, the Ephicomen will be found and redeemed for a reward for the children. So it will be resurrected. <laughs> I love the symbolism, right? So the next thing that happens is there are four questions. And it's the youngest child who will read uh, these, that can read, you know. And so at the Passover Seder, the Last Supper, who was the one that asked the questions? Anybody remember? It's John. Uh huh. And so what does that tell us? He most likely was the youngest because he was the one asking the questions. And where he was sitting also tells you that, that he was the youngest. So here's what it, the questions. Why is this night different from all other nights? On all other nights, we may eat either leavened or unleavened bread. But on this night, why only unleavened bread? On all other nights, we eat herbs of any kind. But on this night, why only bitter herbs? On all other nights, we do not dip our herbs even once. But on this night, we do well, what we dip them twice. On all other nights, we eat our meals sitting or reclining. But on this night, why do we sit in um, a reclining position? Now, do you remember at the first Passover, they were standing, had their sandals on, you know, the, the tunic in their belt, and ready to go, right? Staff in hand. But this, they're free. And so they sit in a reclining position because of declaring that freedom. So then the leader responds. Isn't that a great picture? I just thought it was cool. And you could see the youngest who's asking the questions. So the leader responds, we eat matzah to remind us that when our ancestors were told by Pharaoh that they could leave Egypt, they had no time to bake bread with leaven, so they baked it without leaven. At the Seder, we eat bitter herbs to remind us of the bitterness of our ancestors' experience when they were oppressed in Egypt. At the Seder, we dip food twice, the parsley in salt water, as we have already explained, and the matzah into bitter herbs, as we shall explain later. As a sign of freedom, we lean to the left when we partake of the cup. In ancient times, slaves ate hurriedly, standing, while royalty and the wealthy in Egypt and other empires dined on couches to show that Israel was now free. They too reclined while eating. So the next thing that they do is they have the Megid, which is the telling of the Passover story. Then the people take part in a leader group responsive reading of the Passover story, commemorating it year after year. And then they finally, they have the second cup, which is the cup of deliverance. Uh, and it's where I will rescue you from your bondage. God brought 10 plagues upon the Egyptians. The Jewish people dip their finger into the cup and make one drop on their plate for each plague as they are named. Blood, frogs, lice, flies, cattle disease, boils, hail, locust, darkness, death of the firstborn. And then they drink the second cup. Mm -hmm. And then they enjoy the Seder meal. 
And notice there is nothing there with any leaven. Can y'all name some of this stuff? Uh-huh. See the matzo ball soup? Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, latkes. Yeah. Well, no, fried is only at Hanukkah because everything's about the oil. Yeah. Not that way at Passover, but there is, uh, and typically the dessert that they have would be like a torque um, because it, it can't have leaven. So the next thing that happens is the afikamen is found and the third cup is drank, the cup of redemption. So this is the final food of the Seder. The afikamen was what Jesus used to establish his new covenant. Isn't that interesting? The broken bread that was striped pierced, buried, redeemed, and resurrected into what we now call communion or the Lord's Supper. The third cup, the cup after the meal, it's very important it was after the meal because that tells us which cup, uh, goes with this. The afikamen is his body and the third cup is his blood, the cup of redemption, where Exodus 6.6 6 says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. We know this because of the timing of Jesus' words in his description in Matthew 26, 26 through 28. It says, now while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples, and he said, take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is being poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Redemption. Jesus alludes to this in John 6, 35 as well, saying, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will not be hungry, and the one who believes in me will never be thirsty. Okay, so here, here's another video on the Passover. Y'all need the lights on? Is it good? Okay. When John the Baptist first saw Jesus coming toward him, he declared, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When John uttered these prophetic words, he was not just pulling them out of thin air. He was speaking of the death of Jesus using Passover language. Paul did the same thing in 1 Corinthians 5, 7 when he wrote, For Messiah, our Passover, has been sacrificed. As he is writing, Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, the man that God used to communicate so much great theology to us about sin, salvation, and forgiveness, he presents the sacrificial death of Jesus through the lens of the Passover. Both John and Paul are essentially saying that Jesus is our Passover lamb. Now there is much that we can say about how the Passover lamb in Egypt parallels and prophetically foreshadows the experience of Jesus, our Passover lamb. But for now, here are three points to consider. First, the timing of the Passover lamb being brought into the homes of the Israelites is the same day that Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Exodus 12.3 tells us that the lamb was brought into the house on the 10th day of the first month. The lamb would then remain in the home 
for the 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, and 14th day for a total of five days. When we come to the New Testament, we read John 12:1, where it states that Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. A few verses later in John 12, 12, we are told on the next day, so five days before the Passover, the same day that the lambs were being brought into the homes, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. The second point of connection that we can look at is the examination process that took place once the lamb was in the home. Exodus 12 verses 5 and 6 tell us that the people were to keep the lamb in their home for those five days, and they were to watch it, guard it, and examine it to make certain that it was unblemished and without defect, perfect, before they slayed it at twilight on the 14th day of month. When it comes to Jesus, we observe the same thing. After he entered Jerusalem, he spent much of his time in the temple complex where he was examined by the leadership. As he was teaching, preaching, and healing, he was often approached by different groups and presented with challenging questions and situations. While some were genuine, others had ulterior motives. The leaders were trying to find a defect in him something that could be used to reject him. The intensity of this examination process heightened when he was arrested and put on trial in the home of the high priest. In Mark 14, 53 through 65, we again see different accusers coming and bearing false witness against Jesus, but they were found to be inconsistent. They could find no defect in him. Finally, the high priest stood up and came face to face with Jesus, asking him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus responded, I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. With this response, quoted from Psalm 110 and Daniel chapter 7, Jesus clearly affirmed that he is the Messiah, and not just any Messiah, but he is the divine Messiah that is portrayed in those Old Testament passages that he quoted. With those words, the examination was complete. The group thought that they had found a defect, blasphemy, equating himself with God. In reality, we know that Jesus was not blaspheming, but instead he was being very straightforward about his identity. But nevertheless, he was handed over to the Romans to be executed. This brings us to our final point of connection between the Passover lamb of Egypt and the lamb of God, Jesus. There is power in their shed blood. Exodus 12, 13 tells us that the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. As Israel trusted that promise from God, and then, by faith, applied the blood of the Lamb to their doorposts. We see that it was the blood of the Lamb that served as the operative means for Israel's redemption 
and deliverance from slavery in Egypt. And so too, there is power in the blood of Jesus, our Passover lamb. As he shed his blood for us on the cross, on that faithful Passover 2,000 years ago, God provided the operative means for Israel's and the world's redemption and deliverance from slavery to sin. As Peter reminds us, you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Messiah. So as Passover begins this year, let us boldly celebrate the lamb who was slain, who alone is worthy to receive honor, glory, and blessing. Jesus, our Messiah, our King, and our Passover. And let us point others toward him, letting them know that they too can be set free through his blood. If you enjoy, I was watching a football game the other day. This dude's last name was Chosen. Really? That's a cool name. <laughs> oh. Did turn off? Oh. <laughs> well, it's colder outside. Mm -hmm. All right, so this is another, um, this guy, I really like him. Uh, it's a short video, but it's, it's telling us about the four cups, specifically. What? Yes, you're right. God is so good in all that. Okay, let me start this out again. There we go. <laughs> As we near the conclusion of this month-long study of the Feast of Passover, I want to talk about another element that's very important on the table on the Passover Seder. And that's this here. You can see a beautiful chalice. In the time of Jesus, while the temple was still standing, the focus of the meal was the lamb, because that's what was sacrificed for the people. And then we talked about how after the temple was destroyed, they no longer could bring lambs to the temple. So the focus became on the Seder, which means the order. And every year in Jewish homes all around the world, the exact same Seder is followed. In fact, even in the time of Jesus, the Seder, the order, was already in place. The same order in which the cups are drank today, they were drank already in the time of Jesus. The way the bread was broken today, it was already broken in the time of Jesus. And many times we refer to that last supper that Jesus had. We call it the last supper. Like it was the final like a farewell dinner. But in fact, it was the final Passover. Jesus even said on more than one occasion, how long I have desired to what? To eat this Passover with you. 
And so the elements of the table were very important in the time of Jesus, even today. As we look at the elements and what they represent, I want us to focus now on this cup and what it represents. There's four different cups that you drink throughout the meal, but the one that stands out, the one that's really important for us as Christians, as believers, is the third cup. And that's called the cup of redemption. And that's the cup I want to focus on in right now. This is the third cup, and this is the one that you drink after the supper. You have the cup of thanksgiving, you have the cup of sanctification, then you come to the third cup after the meal. And that's called the cup of redemption. And it's so interesting, so interesting. Again, what does the Bible say? It says, after the dinner, Jesus took the cup. Again, why do we care if he took the cup before the dinner, after the dinner? Because it matters. There was a point. It was so prophetic what Jesus was doing. He said, you know this as the cup of redemption. But now I'm going to call it the cup of the new covenant. This is how I will redeem you. This cup represents the blood of the Lamb. But from now on, from this moment on, it's going to represent my blood. And so as we understand what this cup represents, I want us to think on the power of the blood. And we see even how throughout history, the progression of the power, the first time we see blood being shed, it's when Moses sacrifices the Lamb of Passover, and it's good for one family. The next time we see blood being sacrificed is on the Day of Atonement, or the goat is sacrificed, and now that blood can cover the sins of one nation. But the next time, and the final time, the Bible talks about blood being shed. Remember John the Baptist when he stood in the wilderness and he said, What? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so in that we see the progression in the building of the power of the blood. It once started off for one home, for one family, and then it went to one nation, and now it culminates in Jesus, the ultimate, the Lamb of God, where his blood doesn't just remove sin from one sacrifice to the next. We talked about how at 3 o'clock Jesus cried out and said, Father, it is finished. No more blood ever had to be shed again. But the one thing that you take away from this series, it's this. Remember, it is finished. It is done. The blood has been shed. Your sins can be forgiven. All you have to do this Passover season is ask. Okay, so then, at the end of the Seder, they have the fourth cup, which is the cup of the kingdom. And so if you'll remember, Jesus didn't drink of that one. Yeah. And so he said to his disciples, uh, but I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the, of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it with you, new in my Father's kingdom. This is the cup that Exodus 6-7 describes as I will take you as my people and I will be your God. This cup will not be fulfilled until Jesus sets up his kingdom and we get to enjoy it with him with unhindered relationship. Amen. So, this is the last thing. So, the last thing that it says that they did is they sang a hymn, and then they went to the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Where he was betrayed. Um, but what did they sing? Well, we happen to know the songs that they were singing. It was the Halal. And so, the Halal is Psalms 113 through 118. Well, some of them are very short. Yeah. Um, Psalm 118 is not as much, but I do want to share this one with you. Um, and Because when you're looking at it, 
in having the perspective that what he was singing, he knew what was about to happen. He knew the whole picture of what was going on. And so to read this and to have his perspective in it is very interesting. Um, one thing I also wanted to share in Hebrews 12, 2, um, it talks about that when he went to the cross, he did it with the joy set before him. He endured the cross. So how did he go to the cross with joy? He knew it would bring us to him, that it would restore a relationship, right? So look at this. It says, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let Israel now say, his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say, his mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord now say, his mercy endures forever. I called on the Lord in my distress, or in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire on those who hate me. And I put pictures that are kind of correlating with, you know, he had had perfect relationship with God. He knew God was on his side. Amen. And then it says, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Do you know that that is the exact center of all the Bible? That verse? Uh, verse 8 there, one eighteen eight. It says, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> yeah. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me, yes, they surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me like bees. They were quenched like a fire of thorns, for in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. You pushed me violently that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. This is a picture of him at the uh, betrayal when all of the army, it was a huge amount of people, you know, he just, they asked, you know, he asked, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am. The he is added. Notice it's always in italics. It's not really there. And so he said, I am. And they fell backward. All of this army. And then they still get up and go after him, right? But, yeah. <laughs> The next is, the Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation, my Yeshua. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. Who's the right hand? Jesus. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them, and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate. He is the gate of the Lord, through which the righteous shall enter. 
I will praise you for you have answered me and have become my Yeshua, my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, and he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. And this is the second coming. So he's really spanning all of his ministry, right, throughout time. And the thing about this, Jesus himself, what he said is, I will not return until you call out. And he's talking about as a nation, all of Israel, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? Mm -hmm. And so that is right here in this uh, chapter in Psalm 118. And so I'll just end with this. I love that. The Lord didn't check who inside the house was worthy. He checked for the blood on the doorpost. Mm -hmm. None of us is worthy. Only the blood of Jesus can cover us. Yeah. Amen. So it's not about how good we are. Because <laughs> that's just not ever going to happen. No. <laughs> but it's about how good he is. What are y'all looking for? Yeah. It's, it's eight verses for each of the Hebrew letters. I never noticed that. I've never noticed that. I even got a verse underlined. Yeah, what? Well, you yeah. didn't realize what it was. No, I didn't. One thing you can do, though, seriously, in 119 is uh, look for the meanings of the letters in English, even, the different things of what it means in, in that chapter. It's interesting. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, next time what we're going to talk about is, so they're leaving Egypt, but it didn't stop there, did it? Not a bit. He did. He changed his mind. He's going after them, and then they're stuck there in front of the Red Sea, <laughs> and God shows up. Exactly. Yes, he does. So we're going to that next time. Thank you for listening to the Las Casas Community Church Podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and check out our webpage. You can sign up for our newsletter, see any upcoming events, and so much more. I hope you have a great weekend.